the real fun of episode three is the fact that it connects all the dots. For finally, you can see how episode one relates to episode six and how they all come together. A lot of the people that have followed the Star Wars saga over these years will, will obviously be interested in how Anakin becomes the man in suit. Instead of simply translating the film into prose, I decided to try and make a companion piece to the film. So I deliberately sort of downplayed the physical details and the narrative in favor of the, the, I should say the external narrative, in favor of the internal narrative, and tried to focus on the characters' emotions, their psychology, their motivations, and literally how it feels to be a Jedi, how it feels to be Anakin Skywalker, faced with the, the extreme moral pressure, the choices that he's faced with, how it feels to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, helplessly watching his best friend teeter on the cliff of, of the dark side. episode number 216 the blast points is jason and this is gabe it's saga year month four revenge of the sith does seem like maybe we know what we're doing even when we don't know what we're doing because it's month four it's revenge of the sith and it just happens to be the last couple episodes of clone wars happening which are all about revenge of the sith so yeah i like to think we know what we're doing <laughs> well and getting ready for this episode and watching the the phantom apprentice episode of clone wars like my thoughts on revenge of the sith and like we're starting to like crossover like between talking about the book which we're talking about in this episode and all the stuff darth maul was talking about in that episode i'm like well it's a lot of revenge of the sith going on here yeah well especially because and we won't get too much into clone wars because we have we'll talk about clone wars later but uh just the whole fact that they really are making a parallel story to revenge of the sith is very interesting and is going to kind of forever change Revenge of the Sith because whenever you're watching Revenge of the Sith from now on, you're going to be thinking about Ahsoka and Maul and what they're doing literally at the same time as the characters in, in Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith has always been, and I've, I feel like we've brought it up a bunch of times in episodes past, it's never been my favorite Star Wars movie. In fact, for the longest time it was 
always at the bottom of my list. But I feel like over the last 15 years, my opinion has has gotten much more soft. But I feel like in the past two weeks with these Clone Wars episodes also, I'm coming around on Revenge of the Sith. It took me 15 years, but I'm really coming around on it. (laughs) Well, it definitely does seem to be one that benefits from all the new story stuff around it. Because I think, like, for me, yeah, I was kind of in the same boat as you, that it was always one of my less favorite ones. And some of that initially was because Attack of the Clones I loved so much and was such a ridiculous over-the-top movie that there was no way Revenge of the Sith could equal Attack of the Clones in that respect. And then also just the, it is kind of a downer and it's a downer in the way that because of the story choices, which I think we'll get into later, just about how the movie just focuses almost exclusively on Anakin. It doesn't have that Star Wars excitement or not that it's not exciting, but there isn't the, the Star Wars-ness of jumping around to different characters and having kind of the the trio or whatever you want to call it of of multiple storylines of other characters that it's really just like it's Anakin, 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 which it has to be, but it, it makes it feel different than the other movies. I, I totally agree. And when when I looked at myself in the mirror and stared at myself and st- Asked myself a serious question, why don't you like Revenge of the Sith as much as the other Star Wars movies? That was the thing for the longest time, that it was like, it was a bummer for me. And I was just bummed that it was the last Star Wars movie. Just bummed me out to no end. And like my opinion on Revenge of the Sith started to get better, honestly, when Force Awakens came out or even was coming out. Or I was able to be like, oh, it's not the last one. There's going to be a hundred more of these things. I don't know, it's taken 15 years, like I said, but I, I'm I'm appreciating it more and more. I feel like every day, every single day that goes by, <laughs> it's another day where I'm welcoming Revenge of the Sith in more. Well, it's totally like we always say about the other prequel movies, that it's like at this point in time now, all these years later, it's just another Star Wars movie, and it's just another Star Wars movie on Disney Plus and doesn't have all the expectations of being the end of the prequel trilogy or the last Star Wars movie ever, or the movie that bridges the gap between the prequels and the original trilogy. Now it's just another Star Wars story in the middle of the saga. So it can kind of, it can live and breathe on its own with all the other expectations that go along with a Star Wars movie. Well, and one thing about Revenge of the Sith that I always forget, enhances the movie so much and when we were planning on doing this episode it was so good going back to it is the novelization which in the world of star wars novelizations matthew stover's revenge of the sith novelization of the of the movie it's developed when it's almost like a devoted cult following this this book has more than maybe any other novelization i mean the the Last Jedi one got a lot of buzz when that came out. But a lot of times, like, the novelizations of the films, they come out. People talk about them for a week. People talk about stuff that's in the book that wasn't in the movie. And then it just kind of disappears and people are on to the next thing. But weirdly, the Sith novelization continues to be talked about on a regular basis 15 years later. Well, and it seems like... One of the reasons maybe that it is so popular is because of how the movie Revenge of the Sith is structured and ended up and being so much about Anakin and him falling to the dark side. A lot of what drove him is like inner turmoil and things that are hard to convey in a movie unless people are speaking out loud what their thoughts and feelings are. And the book lets you get inside the characters' heads which is hard to do in a film, but for this kind of a story, it really, the story almost works better in a format where you can see or read what the characters are thinking. It's like, it's surprising and it's not surprising that the Sith novel has such a reputation. Like you said, it's, there's almost no better Star Wars movie for a deep internal dive into the characters' minds. And it balances that with the fact that when Sith was coming out, it wasn't so much of, well, I have no idea what's going to happen in this movie. It was all like, 
you people went into Revenge of the Sith knowing, I know what's going to happen, and I just want to see it happen. Yeah, or I want to know how it happens. Right. <laughs> but everyone's like, I know how this is going to end because it's got to go into A New Hope. And there was like the list of boxes that had to be checked in Revenge of the Sith. Like, clone troopers got to go bad. Anakin's got to become Darth Vader. The Jedi have to be killed. The Skywalker twins have to be born. And I don't think many people expected this book to kind of give people the unexpected as much as it did and still continues to. Because I feel like there's new generations of fans out there that are discovering this book and like, oh, this is not just a retelling of the movie at all. This is a deep like, a deep dive into these characters' minds. Well, and that's what's, I think, fun now seeing the end of Clone Wars of kind of being another take on another story that's filling in the cracks in Revenge of the Sith. And between the book and now with Clone Wars, it's like, like we were saying at the beginning, it, it really makes you think about Revenge of the Sith more and think about it differently and kind of fills in the storyline because that movie is very fast and intense and to the point of just kind of hitting the big story beats it needed to because there was just so much they were trying to cram in that movie that it's nice to have the these little extra details to kind of fill it out. It's true because as a movie, it moves very rapidly. It jumps from one thing to the next, and its tone sometimes can be all over the place, which sometimes doesn't work in Star Wars, where sometimes it's like really goofy, and then it's like deadly serious in the next scene, and you're like, oh, what am I supposed to feel here? But the book kind of sidesteps that. Like the book is, for the most part, serious the whole way through <laughs> deep introspective heavy the whole way through <laughs> the attack of the clones novel is 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 good it's great it's fun it's got some awesome parts but who's talking about the attack of the clones novel even when we did the phantom menace novel which i still think is amazing i remember a lot of the reaction after we did that episode last year in phantom menace year was kind of just like oh yeah Phantom Menace novel. <laughs> the Phantom Menace novel doesn't have its own Twitter page? No, it doesn't. It does. <laughs> That's the thing. Revenge of the Sith novel has its own Twitter page where they just, is it every day or just all the time pulling out just random quotes from the book and they, they read like poetry? What other Star Wars novelization has that? You don't see that for James Conn's Return of the Jedi novel. It should be. I think that's where Jizz Whalers first came from, maybe. I'm not sure. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Yeah, the Revenge of the Sith novel has this reputation to it, this history, this following. And I much deserved, I think. But before we get into that, what... What's your history with this book? Did you, you did you buy it when it first came out? Did you read it before you saw the movie? What's going on? So this, I believe, was definitely my first Star Wars movie adaptation that I read, or in this case, listened to all the way through. And I'm trying to think it may have been the first Star Wars novel period that I actually read all the way through. And it's just because between... Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I was going crazy. And then after Attack of the Clones, Waiting for Revenge of the Sith, I think was like my peak Star Wars madness where I was going nuts and I needed anything and everything. And I was counting down the days for Revenge of the Sith to come out. And the audio version of the book leaked, I want to say, at least a week before the movie came out. If you listen to the show, you know how we are. And I couldn't resist and I had to know what was going to happen. And I immediately downloaded it and listened to it. I think I, I listened to I know I listened to it at work. So I think I made it through the whole book. I think I was at least paced myself over two days because I think the audiobook's like 13 or 14 hours long. So I think I listened to it over two work days. 
but yeah, it was, I can't imagine doing anything else. If I could go back in time, I would definitely do it again. It was like, that was what I needed. My brain needed this. And I think it helped with the movie. Just, you know, it's always, it, it was nice to have all this extra detail going in to watch the movie. What was the, did you read the novel before that came out or were you trying to be, was that when you were being weird and not reading things ahead of time? <laughs> no, I, don't forget, I read the whole script for Phantom Menace before it came out with the storyboard. So, well, no, I know you did that for Phantom Menace, but I wasn't sure if by Revenge of the Sith that maybe you just needed to take it easy. Well, Revenge of the Sith, keep in mind too, I saw so early. Oh, yeah, because you saw the press screening. Yeah, I saw the press screening very I, early May, really early, like two weeks before the movie came out. I saw it. And I could only, I only saw it once and it was painful. Because <laughs> it's a lot it was a lot to take in. Yeah, I remember that. As far as the book, this is when I worked at uh, Borders in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You've heard the story it was spying on John Knowles' family and all that. And so I'm working one, it's like a random weekday night. We get a call that Matthew Stover is coming to the store. And wants to sign all of our copies of the Revenge of the Sith novel. And it was the week it came out. And it was the week that the movie was coming out in theaters. With me being like the resident Star Wars person at the store, they were like, Jason, you just go handle it. Go gather up all the books, all the Revenge of the Sith books and have them sign them all. But he didn't want, he wasn't doing like a, like a book signing promoted thing. He was just going to show up and sign the books. So I had to gather up all the books and meet him in the store and take him down into the basement so he could sign the books like in private. So I had this big like cart full of the books and like I met him and we went downstairs and I was probably wearing a Star Wars (laughs) t-shirt at the time, probably General Grievous on it or something. And but I was trying to play it really cool. So we go downstairs with all these books. I think I told him that I had already seen the film, and we talked about it for a little bit. Somehow we got on the subject of, would he write another Star Wars book? And he stopped signing. I remember this. He stopped signing. He put down the pen, and he's like, I've got a really good idea, but Lucasfilm won't let me do it, and I'm kind of mad about it. And I was like, oh, can you tell me what it is? And he's just like, yeah. So... The Secret of Eternal Life. Qui-Gon knows it. Palpatine knows it. He's like, you've already seen the movie, so you know. Palpatine learned it from his master. He wanted to write a book about Plagueis and a young Qui-Gon, both searching for like this ancient mystery of eternal life. And they're both searching for it at the same time, but neither of them know that the other is searching for it. And they both find it but they interpret it in two different ways, one from a Jedi perspective and one from a Sith perspective. Wow. I don't think you've ever told me that. No, and I <laughs> and I was I remember like being in the basement of the Borders bookstore by these like employee couches and look and he was like looking up at me cuz he was like down like where he was signing books at like a table. My my mouth was just hanging open and he's like, "Right?" Right, and I was like, "You, you have to write that." And still to that day, that story has never really been told. I mean, there was the Darth Plagueis book; he didn't write that. In my head, canon, in my mind, I always like to think that that's something that could have happened because it just makes total sense. And even going into this book, like, and thinking that kind of thought with Palpatine and Eternal Life and Qui Gon, it's like, oh. And I had completely forgotten, too, when we got ready to do this episode, I'll post a picture of it on all of our social media. But he autographed my book. And on the title page, it says, To Jason, even in the darkest night, there are those who dream of dawn. Matthew Stover. Oh, man. Yeah. I know. Maybe you told me right after it happened. I don't know. I think you probably, I think you just forgot because it was just like when we talked about the movie there was so much about the movie to talk about that I don't, if you told me, I don't remember that or you just forgot to tell me. Well, it's funny because when I was reading the book again this week, getting ready, my receipt for when I bought the book was still inside the book. And it, I looked and it was 
two days before the movie came out. So there was probably so much going on at that time. Oh, wow. Well, see, and that's the fun thing with Revenge of the Sith. I can't remember if we talked about this before, too, is like I was so crazy. My friends and I, we went to the charity screening, and I think I spent like four or $500 to, to buy my ticket for Revenge of the Sith to see it, I think, on Wednesday. He saw it. And like we got to go to the Chicago Planetarium, and, and Wolfgang Puck was there making food for us. It was just, it's the weirdest thing. But that would have been, if that was that Wednesday, that would have been the day that you were talking about Eternal Life with Matthew Stover was when I was actually seeing the movie and hanging out with Wolfgang Puck. Well, yeah, and I remember we talked about something else. Like, we talked about aspects of the movie or something. And I just remember, like, I, it was just me and him in the basement of the bookstore. And I remember, like, he was a really deep guy. He he wasn't just writing some Star Wars book as like a goof. Like he was into it. And like I was just it was nine thirty at night and I was at work and I was thinking about going home and I I wasn't ready for that level of in-depth Star Wars talk at that moment, at that night, right then and there. Like just dropping on you like somebody who's living it. And you get that sense from the book. Like he was thinking about Star Wars on a different level than maybe some other people. Well, now I'm going to be thinking about that story idea forever now. I don't know how you sleep at night knowing about it. Because it just it's like an Indiana Jones movie, but with Qui-Gon and Darth Plagueis in it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. When it would, like I said, it would just make sense that it could still make sense. Where did Qui-Gon learn it from? Where did Plagueis learn it from? That story could still happen. Yeah, because even the Clone Wars stuff with the... The Force priestesses talking to him doesn't necessarily mean he couldn't have learned about them from this quest for, oh, man. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, but Stan Stover, he's an interesting person. He He's a martial artist. He's a student of something called the, the Derenberg Blend, a type of Jeet Kune Do, a concept that blends 25 different fighting styles from around the world. He's written a bunch of books, but he's probably most well-known for his Star Wars stuff. He did Shatterpoint, the amazing Mace Windu Apocalypse Now book that came out after Attack of the Clones. And the only other Star Wars book he's written... Well, no, there have been a couple. He did a new Jedi Order one, but he did uh, – the last one he did, I believe, is Luke Skywalker and the Shadows of Mindor, which he, he, he said in that he wanted to take Star Wars back to its pre-Timothy Zahn literary roots of kind of like more of a splinter of the mind's eye kind of pulp science fiction kind of Star Wars thing. I mean, still, it's, he hasn't written as many books as you would think, and – I don't know. I'm surprised he didn't come back. Like how James Lucino came back for Catalyst, and maybe, he maybe he's just mad that they won't let him do his Eternal Life story. <laughs> and whenever if they ever contact him, he's like, you know what I want to do? Just let him do it. Just let him do it. <laughs> yeah. You can tell Stover is an interesting guy. You can tell he has like this martial arts background because when the when the book does some of the lightsaber fight scenes. The book starts going crazy, just name-dropping these made-up lightsaber forms that nobody knows what anybody's talking about. And you can tell, like, probably Matthew Stover has really thought about all this stuff, and it makes sense. And some of that was in Shatterpoint. But I got the sense rereading Revenge of the Sith that it it almost reads like a historical nonfiction book in the Star Wars universe of the of the fall of the Jedi Order and the rise of the Empire. Because it's so in the world. Yeah, because the start of the book is very much like the state of the galaxy and the people of Coruscant, you know, listening to their hollow news about the ex exploits of Kenobi and Skywalker and the master of audacity and all this kind of stuff about just kind of how the world is viewing this war and like the normal people are basically watching the Clone Wars cartoon in universe. And that's how they know all the stories about the Clone Wars. Before every chapter in the book and right away in the very beginning, there's these little like prologues 
again, like the Revenge of the Sith novel Twitter page, like they read like poetry. And I almost wondered, like, at some point when I was rereading it this week, getting ready for this episode, is that the force talking? Is that like the will of the force? Hmm. I never thought about that. Like before the first chapter, like the dark is generous. The first gift is concealment. Our true faces lie in the dark beneath the skins. Our true hearts remain shadowed deeper still, but the greatest concealment lies not in protecting our secret truce, but hiding from the truce of others. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> who's writing Star Wars books like that? Yeah. When that almost sounds like it's a narrator setting us up and it's talking about heavy Star Wars stuff. Is it the wills of the Force? Is it the Force itself talking? I don't know. And so much of the book, too, is what Stover called in an interview the internal narrative versus the external narrative. Like he said in, a, in, in an interview that he wasn't as interested in telling you what you saw in the movie. Chances are, if you're reading the book, you already saw the movie. And he was more interested in telling the internal story. Especially in the beginning of the book, he goes character by character, kind of giving you a rundown of this is Anakin Skywalker, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And even 15 years later, reading his descriptions of these characters are not only like dead on, even with everything that's happened to, with these characters in Clone Wars since Sith came out, they're also, I feel like, still revealing things that maybe we don't think about enough with these characters. Yeah. Cause they're simple and to the point, but they give you an idea of, of who this character is and they're neat because they're almost like, it's almost like the tone poems from Phantom Menace. I mean, they're, they're different poetry, but it's the kind of a similar thing of a, of a few lines of just information in a, in an artful way that kind of gives you the, the feel of this character. One that I, was immediately drawn to right away was his this is obi-wan kenobi where he talks about he's a phenomenal pilot who doesn't like to fly a devastating warrior who'd rather not fight a negotiator without peer who frankly prefers to sit alone in a quiet cave and meditate what's that three sentences and that sums up clone wars obi-wan alec guinness obi-wan even can make your head spin thinking about the the one day Kenobi TV show. And that was back in 2005. It's like if you're pitching the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show, that's your pitch right there. That's him as a character and why he's an interesting character. Obi-Wan is my favorite character. Obi-Wan has always been my favorite character. Obi-Wan is the reason I went to see Star Wars in the first place. And one of the really satisfying things about this book for me was the opportunity to bring Obi-Wan up because actually it's not it's not me doing it I should say but it was I had the opportunity to write about it it's Mr. Lucas who's doing it it's his story but it's his story where Obi-Wan steps up and takes his rightful place as really one of the pivotal heroes of the entire Star Wars saga he is He's the ultimate Jedi. The opening space battle and the rescue of the Chancellor, it's fascinating because it takes up literally the first half of this book. <laughs> where the, what's the first, like, in the movie, how long does that take? Like 20, 25 minutes or something of the movie? But it's well over a hundred pages into the book and they're still rescuing the chancellor. And there's, this is Count Dooku. This is General Grievous. Like it doesn't just stop with the heroes. <laughs> no, you find out. Well, and that's kind of what's fun is, I mean, you, you get inside everybody's head, you get conversations between Dooku and Palpatine while he's captured. And you kind of get to know, who knows what? How much does Dooku know? How much does Grievous know? And some of it, I wonder, too, is just knowing what we know about the filming of Revenge of the Sith, how much, how many gags and how much adventure bits there were that there was almost like, wasn't the beginning of the movie almost an hour originally? 
and they just had to start like cutting things out or 45 minutes or something. And maybe when he was writing the book, there was still a lot of that. So it makes sense that the book just got the feeling that the, that this whole beginning of the movie to Dooku fight to rescuing the chancellor was going to be half the movie. Cause it, it feels like it's almost half the book. Well, and like you were saying, they, they spend so much time talking about with Dooku and the Jedi trap and the Jedi trap is a concept that comes up again and again in the book. And like we were saying, the beginning of the episode, it blurs so much with the most recent Clone Wars, the Phantom Apprentice, where <laughs> this Jedi trap is becoming more and more clear across all these multiple storylines. And again, this was 2005 and we have all these scenes with Dooku, like talking to Palpatine before Obi-Wan and Anakin show up. And there's what Dooku thinks is the plan with Palpatine versus Palpatine's plan. And again, like this, phantom apprentice and like what maul thinks is the plan versus palpatine's real plan and what how much ahsoka knows and it's i don't know scenes like that with dooku and palpatine just kind of getting in both of those characters heads is so great in the book because like we said the movie moves so quickly i remember when i saw it for the first time and dooku his head's chopped off so quick and i'm like oh man that's all we get a dooku Right, because in the movie we get like his one confused look at Palpatine before Anakin kills him, where here we get the setup of them talking before Anakin and Obi-Wan showing up so we know what Dooku thinks the plan is, that they're just trying to kill Obi-Wan and, and trick Anakin into capturing Dooku so the Separatists can surrender and Dooku can go on as a political prisoner or whatever, and only there. In the last second, does he realize that Sidious Palpatine has been playing him the whole time, as well as everybody else? Just like the movie, the biggest thing in the book is Anakin's turn to the dark side. We get into it much more in the book with more in-depth bits with Anakin's dreams, which are always appreciated. And Stover said that he had the green light, green light from Lucas to change anything as long as it didn't change the narrative of the story. But something interesting happened probably while Stover was writing the book in a, in a draft version or something where Revenge of the Sith went in for reshoots in August 20th, on August 23rd, 2003. And the direction of the film changed dramatically for these reshoots. Like specifically, Anakin's story changed where in Rinsler's making of Revenge of the Sith book, there's a part where he, where Lucas is talking about the first script I wrote had stories for everyone. And then I cut it down and I had a script. But when we cut it together, there were still problems. Finally, I said, let's be even more hard-nosed here and take out everything that doesn't have to do with Anakin. The one thing about this one, it did have a lot of things to come together that have been sort of built up and obviously to go on. And I, you know, I had a plan for it and how it was going to work. And when I went and wrote the first story or the first draft of the script, the first outline, a lot of the issues that I had planned to do, I couldn't. It just sort of got way too big. And a lot of these side stories uh, got in the way. So I basically had to focus on the, the main issue and get that story told. And that was the hardest part. Once I jettisoned a lot of the stuff that I'd created and just said, no, this is a story about Anakin and let everybody else fall by the wayside and it worked. And so then I, had, then I wrote that story treatment and then that one is the one that I've actually used to make the movie with. I mean, it's just the bare bones version of what the... But, you, you know, over years you sort of doodle on the sides and then all the doodles get <laughs> where you want to take over. You know, but you can't. You should, at some point you got to cut the doodles off and go to the story. You know, I'd take a deep breath and say, okay, look, I can't. There's a lot of things in here that's fun, but I can't do it. And it's kind of what I had to do on um, the original Star Wars. You know, I did it and I said, this is great, but I can't make this into a movie. It's just not possible. So I'll take the first act and I'll just leave those other things for another time and I'll come back and make those into a movie. Uh, and, you know, and that's kind of how the whole thing started. But this one, I'm sort of at the end, so I can't do that. So I just have to say, well, we'll let these other characters just. Yeah, you know, they're secondary characters. They're not really. Their story is not that important in the end. 
I mean, obviously interesting to fans and things, but it's not telling the real story. So that was March, and by August, he has written a new script for a whole lot of scenes that they shot in this reshoot, which Stover even talks about. The focus of his novel, novelization of the film, really came into light once they realized what they were what they were reshooting. So, what was in the the Revenge of the Sith reshoots? It's kind of shocking <laughs> how much stuff was in the Revenge of the Sith reshoots. In the beginning, with Dooku and Palpatine and Anakin. When Anakin says, it's not the Jedi way, and Palpatine saying, he cut off your arm, you wanted revenge. The whole scene where Mace learns that Palpatine is a Sith Lord from Anakin, that was a completely new scene. Palpatine and Anakin's chat in, his, in, their, in Palpatine's office, don't you wonder why they haven't made you a master? That was a new scene. On Mustafar, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, and you underestimate my power. All that stuff was new. The whole thing with Palpatine on the window, like, you must choose. That was all new. I think, if anything, that was that was the big one because that was like, the movie was always going to have the moment when Anakin turns to Darth Vader. And, and that was probably the biggest change in reshoots. And I remember that being a big deal when this book was out. And I want to say they even go into it in the the DVD special features, don't they? Or am I just imagining that? I can't remember. But I, I think originally it was something like Anakin was kind of already there with Palpatine. He was going to be, because he was Palpatine's bodyguard at that point, and he was going to be in the office when the Jedi came to arrest him. And it kind of all escalated from there, where Lucas says in the, in the Rinsler book how the fight itself was fine. The problem was that the final confrontation between Mace and Palpatine wasn't specific enough in terms of Anakin. So we're working to make his story, his conflict, sharper. I have what I call two sharp right turns in the movie, he, sa- he adds. And they're very hard to deal with. For the audience, it's a real jerk because you're going along and then somebody yanks you in a different direction. Anakin turning to the dark side and killing Mace is a very hard right. Because we're dealing with things that aren't so obvious. The audience knows Anakin is going to turn to the dark side, but the things that he's struggling with are so subtle that it may be hard for people to understand why his obsession to hold on to Padme is so strong, which is exactly why the book works so well, because you're able to read all those things that are subtle to look at, but not when you can read people's minds. When I feel like that's the whole thing that makes this book, like we've said, so special and continues to be so special and talked about as much as it still is because it does allow more time into every character's head, the internal. One of the things that we find in Revenge of the Sith is that the dark side is not tempting Anakin to anything that Anakin is looking at the dark side and saying, that's what I want. And that was actually where Mr. Lucas went in the reshoot, where, and that I thought was the real, the stroke of genius that is gonna make this film blow people's minds, and that, that I thought brought the book together and made it all just just made it transcend what I had hoped it could be. His big aha moment with the movie and then like what benefited the book was that the dark side isn't tempting Anakin. It's something that he chooses specifically to save Padme. He'll do anything to save her, even consciously choosing the dark side. He didn't get tricked. I mean, he, in the end, he get he got tricked, but he didn't really get tricked because he, yeah, he chose to do what he did because his need to hold on to the things he loves were more important than anything else to him. And it may it's the whole thing that makes Anakin and then Darth Vader's whole story more tragic and makes his redemption through Luke more awesome. And it boggles my mind and just 
sends me down this path of thinking what was that original version of Sith like? <laughs> if Anakin was more tempted by the dark side and the whole choice that he had to make and is doing anything to save Padme wasn't as important as a thing in the movie because that's the whole movie, in my opinion. That's the whole, that's the point. Other stuff in the reshoots was the whole, like, Anakin saying, I will just help me save Padme's life. I I'll, I can't live without her. I will do whatever you ask. The whole conversation between Anakin and Yoda, like, be prepared to lose everything you care about, all of that. Even Anakin force-choking Padme and Anakin's tear on Mustafar. Well, if anything, it reminds me of, it's like when Return of the Jedi, when it wasn't until the last moment they thought to have Vader threatening Leia be what brings Luke back to the fight. When you watch the movie, it's like, well, what else would it be? That makes the most sense. And it's kind of, I think, the same thing with this, where, oh, that makes sense that he wants to save Padme and he would do anything to to save her and that he would make a deal with the devil to save his wife and it seems like the obvious answer but when they were writing the movie it wasn't the obvious answer until they were done filming the not good answer which is the crazy way movies are made <laughs> sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't <laughs> Again, I was saying it over and over again, but it's the whole point of the whole thing. The the internal, at the very end of the book, he's able to put something. Maybe it's the Force Wills talking, but this part, I feel like, sums it all up so much that the, the dark is generous and it is patient and it always wins. But in the heart of its strength lies weakness. One lone candle is enough to hold it back. Love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars. I mean, that's it right there. Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, you can you can take the, those words right there, and you can apply that to every single Star Wars movie. Last Jedi, I don't care, Rise of Skywalker, Force Awakens, Rogue One, Solo even. Doesn't even matter. Battle for Endor. Doesn't matter. The holiday special. It's about love, people. <laughs> After all, there is love and there is love. There is selfless love and there is selfish love. There's love that's about you and there's love that's about how I feel about you. And this is the crucial distinction that Anakin fails to realize in time. Yeah, Sith novel and Sith the book they're incredible companions to each other. But but there's a lot of changes from the movie to book, from book to movie. What are, there's, there's a huge list of things that are in the book, but not in the movie, right? Yeah. I mean, like books do, they add in things that aren't in the movie and kind of fill in some gaps that aren't in the movie, which is nice. And the book has quite a few of those. And then the movie on the flip side has things that the book didn't have. Like basically everything on Kashyyyk isn't, they don't, did they even talk about it in the book? I can't remember if they even mention it just barely, but there's no, there's no scene in the book with Yoda on Kashyyyk. Like none of that is in the book at all. But that's the crazy thing when you're reading the book and you're like, we just got back to Coruscant from rescuing the, the chancellor. And we're halfway through this book. How are we going to do this? But yeah, just take the whole chic part out. Don't need it. It's gone. But they do add back in a lot of the deleted scenes of Padme and the other senators, kind of starting the something of the something of two thousand. That whole group. There's a lot of backstory of Dooku. There's a story of a young Dooku, and there's stuff about how Dooku's kind of more of a jerk in the book than he is in the movies, and how much he doesn't like aliens and. Grievous, and he doesn't like cyborgs, but for some reason Grievous is okay because he was a gross alien anyway. But Anakin's robot arm is like an abomination to Dooku. Well, the whole jealousy of Anakin thinking there's something going on with Padme and Obi-Wan is in the book. Which that was one thing with the movie where I almost felt like they wanted to do that. Like, you're with him. But the movie never really dived into that that much, you know? Yeah. 
part of me is really wondering if there's gonna if they're gonna fit something into Clone Wars to somehow fill out that that part of the story a little bit between with Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan, if one of them is going to talk to the other and somehow imply something, or maybe they don't, maybe they don't even want to, no one wants to revisit that plot line. I don't know, but there's a captain Nita, a younger captain Nita, Lieutenant commander Nita makes an appearance a few times. There's literally multiple paragraphs about Obi-Wan coming to and, and looking at Anakin's butt when they're (laughs) during the Palpatine rescue. Which this movie's not all deep thoughts and uh, and darkness. There's a lot of butt talk. Well, you know, it's Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's definitely it's got the goofy bits. There's some wonderful, wonderful Anakin's dreams we talked about him when he was a kid, learning about how stars die, and that kind of is a reoccurring thing of him remembering when he when he found out that even stars can die. The part about Anakin and Padme giving each other to the droids and how Anakin made 3PO to be his friend because he didn't have friends and he gives her to Padme and Padme knows that the Jedi can't have attachments. So she just tells him that, well, R2, you can just take care of him. You don't actually own him. And how Anakin and R2 have been friends since the Battle of Naboo. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this book that, kind of wraps up the other two prequel films all together in a way that that the movie just did not have time to do, which makes total sense. Well, and the other thing, I mean, really that's great with the book of things the movie didn't have time to as well is because they focused on Anakin, 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 even Padme, who is such a important part of the Anakin, Anakin, Anakin story didn't get as much time to do much and, and talk much in the movie that getting to get into her thoughts as well about just how their relationship is, how she feels about the Republic, how she feels about Anakin turning to the dark side is really great to get. Even like when we were talking about the, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, this is Grievous, like the, this is Padme paragraphs are really great way of kind of describing who she is at this point and kind of talking about how everything she was in the past doesn't matter anymore because she is now Anakin's wife, but then goes on to basically explain that it's not wife. It's a small word, such a common word that can come from a downturned mouth with so many petty, unpleasant echoes for Padme saying, I am Anakin Skywalker's wife is saying neither more nor less than I am alive and basically really fleshing out their relationship. Again, who's writing Star Wars books like that? Yeah. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody still is writing Star Wars books like that. Her real life began the first time she looked into Anakin Skywalker's eyes and found in there not the uncritical worship of little Annie from Tatooine, but the direct, unashamed, smoldering passion of a powerful Jedi. A young man, to be sure, but every centimeter a man. That's how I felt when I first looked at Hayden Christensen too. So it makes total, total makes total sense to me. <laughs> one probably one of the biggest scenes that's in the book that isn't in the movie. Was it ever shot? Who knows? I don't know. Deleted scenes. The Qui Gon conversation at the end. It's in this book. Well, I feel before we started recording, I feel like we we talked about because we had both read this so early on. I feel like this was always in our heads because <laughs> it's totally different than even what's in the script version. Yeah, and it's probably tainted my memory for the longest time because until I was rereading this and I went and was re-listening to the audiobook version to prepare for this, like hearing the that part in the book was like, oh, this is why I thought it was the way it was even more so than in the yeah in the script because i had heard it from the novelization before i saw the movie and that was kind of always in my head and it, i think those if anything that was the bad stuff listening to this before the movie was just how i was expecting that qui-gon scene the whole time and it and it it made it sting even more when it didn't come and for whatever reason i was really convinced that all the stuff in the book about Anakin being mad about not being a master was because he couldn't go in like the secret master Jedi part of the library. Like for whatever reason, I was convinced that was going to be in the movie too. And I was surprised that it wasn't, I don't know. I was losing my mind at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Totally understandable. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was a difficult time. 
I mean, I'm still losing my mind with the 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 Qui Gon Yoda conversation. Still, like, I feel it in my extremely thin list of beef I had with Revenge of the Sith. I feel like that was one of them. Where I was like, that Qui Gon scene should have been in there. But anytime I need the the Qui Gon Yoda fix, I can either put in. Season six of Clone Wars, or just re- reread this scene. I mean, even the, let's just fl- picking it up to this book, to the conversation. You have Yoda saying, "My failure. This was failed. The Jedi. I did." Yeah, I'm with you. I still, yeah, to this day, that is. I think if I had to pick one Star Wars complaint from everything ever Star Wars made, the thing at the top of all of that, and the only thing that really bugs me is that. I don't understand why they didn't have the Qui-Gon scene at the end of the Revenge of the Sith and why all these years and all these versions later, like why the 3D, 3D release, they didn't add it back in. Qui-Gon talking about eternal life, the ultimate goal of the Sith, yet they can never achieve it. It comes only by the release of self, not the exaltation of self. It comes through compassion, not greed. Love is the answer to the darkness. Yeah. Like I said, it's right there. You want to think about those lines? Rise of Skywalker. Think about Palpatine. Clone. Darth Sith magic. <laughs> cloning. Whatever. I mean, it works. That's the crazy thing. Stover was looking in a crazy Star Wars crystal ball back in 2005. He was thinking of some next level stuff. Revenge of the Sith is more relevant and important now, I think, than maybe it even was in 2005. Between Clone Wars, everything that's going on, the way it mirrors and balances with all the wildness in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, we're, it's the 15-year anniversary of Revenge of the Sith. And this book, like I said, is not a novelization. It is an expansion, a microscopic look into the mind of Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, it kind of is. They should make a version that's shaped like a magnifying glass <laughs> that comes with the Revenge of the Sith Blu-ray. <laughs> well, it's it's what everyone needs right now. If you've never read it, and you've got Sith fever right now, like everyone does, and I don't blame anyone, now is the time to read it again. You can probably get it for like a dollar on Amazon or something. I don't know. The paperback is out there. If you did read it when it came out, it's time. I think it's time to read it again because it got my mind reeling because like we said, now is the, some, for some reason now is revenge of the Sith time. Yeah. It's Sith season. Clone Wars. It's got Sith on the brain. The sequel trilogy had Sith on the brain. Disney plus. No matter what you watch, it thinks you need to watch Revenge of the Sith next. <laughs> or Empire Strikes Back. It's either one of the two. <laughs> it's never Phantom Menace. No. But yeah, can't recommend it enough. Go back to it, and let's start a letter writing campaign to get Matthew Stover back writing Star Wars books. Because, I don't know, I think now's the time for him to come back. Why not? Let's get that quest for eternal life story. Let's make it happen. We'll, we'll help write it. He can, he can just call us up. He can Zoom call us, and we'll type it up. They can just make that the new indie movie in Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, as Darth Plagueis, looking for the secret of eternal life. Why? Liam Neeson in younger Liam Neeson makeup plays younger Qui-Gon. <laughs> just, just put Liam Neeson's face on a kid's body. Send him on an adventure. Darth Plagueis the wise. It's me. Just leave the earring in, doesn't even matter. Give him that big Call of the Wild beard. They have this CG dog from Call of the Wild go with Darth Plagueis. That's his, that's his dog. That's why they made uh, the Plagueis book not canon, because they really wanted to give Plagueis a dog. I'd watch it. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Always on the move. Soon I will have a new apprentice. What have I done? He has become a very great threat. You 
So it is that time of the month where we give a shout out to the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon. And this month we're doing something a little bit different where we are going to give a shout out to all the new members who signed up within the past month for the Blast Points Army because the list of names is getting crazy. (laughs) We love you all so much and appreciate it. But we're going to be here until tomorrow reading all the names at this point. All right, so we want to thank James, Big Jizzy, Dwelling 2, San Kelly, Dave Jackson, Joel. And a thank you to Lonnie Weishar Jr., Nathaniel Smith, Brandon Lee, But Alive, William Christianbury, Nick Tierce, and Joey. And everyone else in the Blast Points Patreon Army, we are not forgetting about each and every one of you. You're all awesome. We appreciate your support so much. You're all the candle that lights up the darkness in the universe. Love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars. And your support on the Blast Points Patreon Army ignites the stars. So thank you, everyone. And if you want to be a member, all you got to do is sign up. Go over there on Patreon. Get our weekly Clone Wars episodes that are coming out. Clone Wars is killing us. That's the straight truth. Like, we're not even functioning right. It's too much. Can't sleep. (laughs) Can't eat. I tried to put ice cream in my ear. Clone Wars is messing me up. I can only eat pudding because my teeth are too sore from thinking about Clone Wars. (laughs) So thank you, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. 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 Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. going to say next probably itunes apple podcast reviews go over there write a little something nice we're going to read what you wrote on an upcoming episode and it helps the show writing an apple podcast review is like love being more than a candle and writing an apple podcast review can ignite the stars yes but be careful if one of those stars you ignite eventually burns out and dies because it might torment a small child who eventually grows up to be a cyborg killer who eventually learns to love his son and kill a creepy old monster man who turns into a clone who is eventually killed by his granddaughter. Before all that happens, <laughs> you can leave us an Apple podcast review. We'd love to read it. And after you light all your candles in the darkness, don't forget our webpage, blastpointspodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and if you're on that Facebook, you want to sign up for the Super Chill Group. Yeah, last weekend we watched episodes one through four of The Mandalorian. This coming weekend, after this episode comes out, we are watching episodes five through eight of The Mandalorian, completing our Mandalorian stay home watch parties. It's a nonstop party over on the the Blast Points Facebook group, is what we're saying. If you watch all The Mandalorian, is it an octology? I think so. Or you can just call it season one. But yeah, that about wraps up episode number 216 here. Saga year, month four. Revenge of the Sith. 
It's the most important Star Wars movie of all time right now. It's crazy. It's crazy times we're in. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know. Matthew Stover knew, though. That's that's what's happening. He knew. He was been trying to tell us for all these years. Revenge of the Sith is timeless. <laughs> all right, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Two. Dooku. May the force be with all of you.